Blog Talk Radio. National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin. I am your host this evening, and it looks like we've kind of got a little mix-up going on here, but I um, look like Victoria's on with us. Welcome, Victoria. I'm glad you're here. I just, we just got off the oh. phone. We were chatting for a while. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I thought um, Dr. Nancy was going to be on the top of the Billion for oh, oh, okay. Penelope. Uh-huh. Oh, Penelope. Okay. Yes. I thought Nancy. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. And then we have Dr. Deborah. I mean, Pastor Deborah on, and she knows what she's doing anyway, so we can just kind of oh. sit back and listen, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, I'm going to go ahead. Well, let me go ahead and do this. Uh, opening and everything first, and then we can hand it over to Pastor Deborah. Um, so we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing that child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And tonight we are on stand number 3263. And if you would like to be a part of the panel, we'd love to have you call in on the, the host, host line or the guest line, I mean, um, 646-595-2118. And either myself or Victoria, I'll meet you on the back line and, and welcome you on. So we'd love to have you be a part of it. Um, again, we have Dr. I mean, Pastor Debbie calling you Doctor. Pastor Deborah is on with us this evening, and of course, she's um, an old-time NASCA, you know, member, so she knows exactly what she's doing. I and I'm 
probably going to go ahead and hand it over to her then, since um, she can take over. So <laughs> I'll just let you go ahead and do it. How about that? Uh, Does that work? Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, okay, we I wasn't sure. You. Okay, yep. hi, Victoria. Yep. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, awesome. I guess I'm filling in for somebody, you know, couldn't be here or something. And I have a great topic. You guys can probably comment on it. Uh, I haven't covered this before when I've done some teaching. It was what is triggering? And what is a memory? Because what happens when people have had child abuse, uh, when the abuse is happening, events through the physical body, sounds, cells, words, everything, and even the body, they record that in the brain and through chemicals. Because I uh, also did a lot of neuropsychological testing as a mental health counselors. So what I wanted to talk about tonight, and if there was any callers, is what happens when somebody gets triggered, what's going on. And then after you get triggered, what is the memory? What does it consist of when it comes up? So that if people choose to go into counseling, therapy, and a memory comes up and the therapist is talking, they'll have a little better understanding what it is, why. They, and if you're in a peer-to-peer sort of a group work and somebody's telling their story or something and you start getting triggered because of it, I wanted to talk about what's going on inside of that and why it's happening. And uh, so these are two areas that a lot of abused people are familiar with, they just don't get a lot of teaching and explanation on. And so they don't know uh, if they can stop triggering, what is it, what's its purpose, how does it happen, and then the memory, uh, what it seems so real sometimes. And so that was my area that I wanted to sort of cover tonight for people that are listening. And I don't know if there's anybody on the line or if you need to introduce anybody that's, you know, a caller or something. You can. We don't have any uh, right callers. Now? Well, no callers right now. Okay. <laughs> Just the three of us. So we can okay. do that. That's good. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the things that since I have been a healer on, in two areas, okay, um, I, I never really asked a lot of questions after once I studied what sex child abuse was. I was exposed to it by neighbors. Uh, I had a mentally ill mother, so I didn't have a normal childhood. Moved around every two years, and, and to for my brother, that was very abusive. He could never make friends, and I had a different attitude. So our home lives uh, are very important. Uh, even the child birthing experience can be traumatic and can cause some issues. You have a premature child or one, you know, it's uh, one comes out with a lot of struggle or something. Believe it or not, there are uh, retainers inside the body. So in an adult, 
who's had child abuse of some kind, repeated or whether, because there is the biological body of a child is involved. The biological body has five senses. All five senses are involved in the abuse. And the body itself, which is made up of nerves, the skin, is involved in the abuse. And associations happen, whether it's daytime, nighttime, music, sounds, colors, whatever, through the five senses. Associations occur with the abuse. The five senses are on high alert. And what happens is during that time in the brain, through neural chemical means, images in neurochemical electrical form are getting created. And the best way I can explain what that looks like is when you take a camera and you want to take a picture and you open the lens on the film. If you look at the film before it's in a camera, it's just black. It has some chemicals on it. But when you expose the film to light, you open it up, the aperture, light comes in through the lens onto the film, and an image gets formed in the chemicals. Now, this is done in digital cameras also. Light comes in, forms a digital image that we all know uh, in the old-style cameras. You can then take the film out. You can make a picture, you know, put it through its solution, and you can get a photograph. The lens let light in onto the film so that memory of what came in is stored on the film. Memories are the same way. They are stored light images that's stored in chemical, electrical systems in our brains. One of the great books to understand this is to read The Three-Pound Universe. It is about the brain and how it works and then studying the five senses and how they are producing this image association, sort of on blank film in our brain. Things are being created, stored in chemical, electrical form. Now, once the abuse is over with, there's we are capable of blocking that off. We put, sort of put a door there with a lock. Abuse is over with. We go to sleep. We have now locked off that memory. When someone gets triggered, a trigger is a lever. It would be like a door opening. Trigger could be a light switch that turns on electrical uh, energy is there to your light, but it cannot come on. So you flip a switch and you make a connection. So these two things are involved in an adult or a teenager or even a child who's had child abuse. 
But when you get into therapy with a therapist, they are trying to help you open the door so you can see sort of the photograph, the memory clearly. And they try to help you understand it and your feelings associated with it. A lot of therapists don't make judgments on your parents or that was a crime. They don't say that much anymore. They did in the 70s, I believe. A lot of therapists were telling adults, this is a crime to what happened to you. And you need to go and file charges of child abuse against your parents. And many clients did. And the parents rose up who went into court and they got lawyers and they organized the false memory syndrome, accused the therapist of planting the memories of this into their clients. Because a therapist is in a position of power and authority. And they know that the client, the courts know this, is a very suggestible person. They can be overpowered, dominated, and it is a therapist has to be very careful in what they say. There's ethics that a therapist is not to do business with any client, associate with them in any way, in any golf club, go to any clubs, go to anywhere, take any money, have them come to their house and cut their grass. It's illegal for a therapist to do that with a client because a client therapist is in a, one is in a dominating role and one is in a submissive role. So there was a lot of rules on therapists, but therapists were trying to help the client. So what happened is the lawsuit started happening against the therapist for malpractice, for putting in this. Maybe they hypnotized you. And they implanted. This is what they would tell the courts. And so a lot of your therapists backed off from recommending going and filing charges because there was no proof. And, you know, the kids had been getting in trouble at school and all kinds of things, did drugs and alcohol. And so the judges didn't believe these parents would do that. So that was way back in maybe even the 80s or something. And uh, But if you are an adult now, or even a teenager, or even a child, you can understand creation of memories, pictures, images inside of your brain. You can see it if you close your eyes. You can, And you just close your eyes now. You can just look around the room, and you can still see things okay, that have been implanted through the light on your brain. So through the five senses, you have your eyes. They see things. Light comes in. Your ears hear sounds. It comes in. Smells come in through your nose, your touch of your hands, your body. Everything is recording in your brain as a child, the child abuse. And at that moment that you are being abused, you're you're at a certain age. That age and who you believe you are is also recorded as the one who's being abused. Now, a lot of people, 
No, when they tell their stories, they don't remember a lot of this till much later. And it's because it's been locked away behind, we'll say, a door or a wall. And it hadn't been opened. And But yet they had depression, anxiety, other mental health issues, drug and I, I think Victoria can relate to this summer's drug and alcohol problems. And they don't know why relationship problems. So what starts happening is the walls, the doors, start weakening. And uh, these memories, when the triggers are all in society. In uh, Satanism, which I worked with, and witchcraft, they would get triggered if they heard a, a police siren, police siren, certain number of phone rings on your phone that would trigger them. If it was a certain time of day, a certain hour of the clock, that would trigger them. And they would switch into a different personality, a different memory or person would come up to do something. And they were their whole life was broken up into disassociation. And it was done to so the person would not really ever know exactly what was happening because all they would remember was I went to my the bathroom and that's the last thing I remember or I went to sleep and I don't remember anything else happening and so triggering understanding it so when you're in a group setting or a peer-to-peer or even telling your story to other people or you're listening to people tell their stories or you're listening to music or the time of day or the season, pressure on that door and it can open it up. And the memory, it's a chemical release, like turning on a water faucet, can come flooding out. And that's what the mental health world would call flashbacks, post-traumatic stress. And you'll see a lot of soldiers in it that they wake up, they're having nightmares, they believe they're back in the uh, war zone, they're hearing the shelling. And so when the memory is released in chemical form, it will affect all five senses and you will believe that you are actually right in it then. And I'll let you guys, if you want to comment on any of that or if you have any callers or, you know, advertise NASCA, you go right ahead. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting. When I first started having, you know, body or well, body memories too and uh um, you know, all the sensories like you were talking about. Um I didn't know why I was, you know, why I was doing that. I didn't know, you know, like when I saw something or heard something or smelled something, whatever. I would just get the severe panic, you know, and anxiety. And like you mm-hmm. said, you really sometimes don't know where it's coming from or images that That's didn't feel like they were mine. You know, it didn't like, doesn't make sense. And I was having nightmares where my memories were coming back. Right. And it was, right. Just, it was really, really confusing, you know. Yes, it was. And, yes, it uh, is. Yeah. I started getting into therapy and, you know, not a whole lot was coming back, and then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of stuff started coming back, like like a flood. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I told my That's therapist, 
that I'm, I'm getting worse because I'm having these memories and I'm having body memories mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. memories mm-hmm. and I'm having, you know, stuff coming back at night and I'm getting worse and getting worse. She said, actually, you're getting better. I said, better? She says, mm-hmm. yeah. She says, because you feel safe enough to be able to deal with it now. You know, like you talked mm-hmm. about it being locked away when you don't feel safe, you can't really deal with that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't buying it. <laughs> I'm not getting better, you know. And and I well, ended they the don't accept it. I ended up the the... saying, uh, "Well, I don't believe you, but I'll come back next week and you can try to convince me again." <laughs> okay. Well, see, there's not a lot of teaching if you go into therapy. The therapist right. or the minister doesn't sit down and go. If some memories come back, they may flood back. Okay, mm-hmm. and remember, in your brain, it's all happening in your biological brain. Yeah. Chemicals are being released. A individual that's been sort of locked up behind the the door is mm-hmm. is going through the abuse. Because remember, mm-hmm. at that age, everything is stored. Your age, your looks, the people, the smells, all five senses are at work. The body's at work. And what happens, therapists, they're not trained in college to help you deal with the memories. There's no classes to say, when your client starts having memory recall, don't just tell them they're getting better. They won't believe you. That That's not even told to us to how to help you recall. Okay? Oh, yeah, she did a great that, job. That, that's now not there. Yeah, yeah, she she was great. Some of them are, but what you have to understand is I have seen it, and it comes out a lot to us who's helping as disassociated parts, people, okay? And you have to learn how to work with that disassociative part, okay? But now that that part is, say, out, the memory's out, therapists really aren't trained They're taught this wonderful word called integration. They know you've got a lot of division within you, and you've got a lot of maybe disassociation. You have disassociated yourself from the emotions. So they're trying to put you back together as one individual, and it's called integration. They're trying to get all of your parts to have the same memories for you to completely remember everything that happened and to realize now that it's over with, you are safe, you're not a child, and that's all in the past. But we need all of your disassociative parts to remember it, experience it. Don't block it off anymore. Don't hide from it. And they sometimes do this through imagery in therapy. I learned imagery. I never used it. Hypnosis. And in hypnosis, they'd get down to your deep subconscious things behind that locked door that you don't want to let out. But now they've taken away the safety net, and they've entered into those places, and they want those places to reveal themselves. They believe that that will help you. You won't have to do your drugs and alcohol anymore, won't be depressed, won't be fearful, won't have anxiety. 
if you remember everything. And they'll ask you questions about what happened and how did that make you feel and what did, you know, they'll go through this and almost have you relive it. So when people tell their stories, they are reliving that event or events. What they're doing is they're putting themselves right back in it as a child. They are telling you about the abuse, all the fears, the terrors, the torture, everything. And they're supposed to feel good about that. And there's except and and you're and they end up triggering the other people who are listening because they're experiencing it now. But in therapy, they believe that's a good thing because it's not hidden away from you anymore. But typically, there's no preparation in therapy. Uh, very few ministers know how to do this to get you ready for that event to occur and how powerful it's going to be and how the body memory and how the body stores the memory. It's all chemical electrical. And when the chemical electrical, if you've ever watched a brain, sometimes you'll see it uh, when they show it on TV commercials, light going through the dendrites and all the things in the brain, you know, flashes of light and stuff. When that's happening, there's also something called the vargas nerve that goes from the top of the head all the way down. It runs through your system. It's going through the nerves. The nerves are firing off electrical stuff. You're feeling the pain, the tingling. Uh, Your heart's affected. It's beating faster. The whole body, because it was all involved in the sexual abuse or any kind of trauma. So you have those whole body experiences. But most therapists don't really, believe it or not, most of them don't even suspect that you were abused as a child. They just think you're depressed, you're having a bad boyfriend, girl, you know, relationship, or you lost your job. Um, they, they don't, they're not trained to go back to the childhood. And just recently when this, uh, the ACEs came out, the Adverse Childhood Experience, most therapists did not even realize the effects of so many different experiences in childhood that affect us adversely that bring, and as we grow up as adults, we have issues with. And that wasn't taught when I went through. We were all, hey, this is a, a mental health, psychiatric disease, illness. Okay, it's a disease. And uh, we treat it with medication, or we treat it with electroshock therapy, or we treat it with lobotomies. They used to do other things that were really horrible. But it was a disease, and they were trying to cure a disease that you had in the brain. And it was so, to society, you are not normal. And yet the people that were doing this to the children they were the upstanding citizens of the community. Churchgoers, priests, pastors, leaders, business people, fathers, mothers, brothers, uncles. And we cannot bring any kind of disgrace to the family, the business. So the little child suffered in silence. And so now you're an adult and you got issues. Drug and alcohol problems, sex problems, relationship problems. You're just, I don't know, chasing something, can't find it. 
And what happens is uh, therapists, I hope they're getting better trained at this to work with adult survivors of child abuse. And um, But they don't get a lot of in-depth stuff because the licensing still says you are dealing with a medical disease, an illness that fits under psychiatry, which is a medical doctor. And you're still going to diagnose people with medical diseases and illnesses according to the DSM which comes under psychiatry and the World Health Organization. My license as a mental health counselor set under the medical quality assurance where dentists, doctors, nurses, therapists uh, had licenses. So we were different than a pastor, and yet, our, we we had to have a lot of medical questions. We had to take classes in AIDS when that came out. We had to have a lot about medical ethics. We had to understand different types of research and, and medicines because they were working with the biological body. So triggering is a mechanism. It's a lever. And it's can be from the five senses. You hear something, you see something, you smell something, opens a door, which it sort of probably releases in our brain a flow of chemical, electrical stuff shooting through our brain. Okay, it starts there, then it goes through our whole body. And during that time within that chemical, electrical, whatever you want to call it, if you've ever seen, I had to watch my son's brain. He got a head injury at five, and we had a brain test, and you could, they'll see the electrical activity that goes on even when you blink an eye. And everything is electrical. Our heartbeat is electrical when, it's, when you get to EKGs. So the memory is the big part. When a memory is released, if something got a door open through the triggering, which is a lever, the memory has been learned. It's an image, like on the the film and the camera. It's working through all five senses. That includes the whole body. There's associations connected with that time of day, certain seasons, smells. A lot of associations connected uh, with the abuse that happen instantaneously, and we don't even recognize it as children. It's an experience. And if it's done over and over and over again, it's anchoring those images, the sounds, the smells. It's strengthening the memory that's in there. And um, so is there anybody online, Victoria? Anybody? No, not yet. No, nobody else. Okay. Yeah, no one else has come on. All right. Well, Thank you, you guys can I, um, Yeah, I was, can I make a comment? Go ahead and comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I well, I just wanted to say, I, of course, like everybody probably listening, that I do relate a lot to everything that you're saying. I um, recently started doing gestalt equine therapy, and that has mm-hmm. been actually probably the a game changer for me because I've been going to therapy all my life too. I'm 55 years old. I mean, basically, ever since I've been an adult, I've been going to therapy, and um. And it's just started to help me get more into my heart work and not be so much into my head because that's what I've been trained to do. Okay. I've been trained to think yeah, about yeah. what's next that's going to happen that's going to yeah, yeah, I can help yeah, everybody yeah. else. And, <laughs> and so okay. I, and I also love uh, the ACE study. I mean, once I heard about that, it was a game changer. Okay. So it's been Let me explain <laughs> what's happening. When you're doing equine therapy with the horses, they love you. They know nothing about you. They're kind. You feel safe with them. They'll nuzzle you. They're not trying to hurt you. You can. You are receiving love, and you can give freely without being hurt. Love. You can hug them. They'll, you know, they'll look at your eyes, they'll listen to you, and they won't judge you. A therapist can't hug you. They won't do that. They won't say, I love you unconditionally. So you don't get that level of safety, that level of unconditional love from your therapist. It's a job. You're paying them money to listen to you. You're just a client. They're just trying to retrieve. Okay, so the relationship is different. That's why so many people choose support animals. Or how about a teddy bear? Because it gives us conditional love that makes us feel loved. They don't know anything. The animal knows nothing about us or what happened. And they don't care. And we love them in safety. Therapist isn't like that. A pastor like me, you become my spiritual child. Uh, and I anchor you in that unconditional love. I already, You don't have to tell me your story. I already know it. I've seen it. I've walked in, been in it. I've helped people worse off than you. You come to me, I know what you need because I've been well-trained in both areas. A therapist is going to keep looking at their watch. <laughs> I only got 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, God, another one of these, you know, and I'm taking notes, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And okay, <sighs> see you in two weeks, you know, and that kind of thing. A horse doesn't do that. No, does that. There and and neither does you. that therapist. Yeah, That's she it. has been very... I mean, very generous with her time. It's not just about the 90 minutes that I'm scheduled to mm-hmm. do. She'll, she'll keep, you know, she'll keep and, on for and three And when hours. they do that, and when that happens, you're experiencing a form of love that's bringing healing. But most therapists, they're on the clock to make money to pay their rent and their bills. And you are just the mechanism, you know, that does that. And so it's different. And 
you go to just regular doctors, you know, you got 15, 20 minutes and it's all business. They talk to you a little bit and move on to the next one. But equine therapy, support animals, they're not like that. And that's where a lot of healing and, and the connection is love. You love me, Mr. Horse. You're gentle with me. I can love you. You know, you ask me no questions, and yet you love me. And I can love you back. So a connection of love is starting to flow. And a lot of us, if we're in tune to animals, we can feel it. You know, there, a lot of them are gentle, and we just want to be pet them, and we want to hold them. And we want to love them. We want to give, believe it or not, even a, an adult person who's been to, wants to give love to other people. They may not know how. And during that time, that's when healing occurs. And what happens is all the system, the five senses are being loved gently, okay, new Images are being created. Love is slowly weakening the bad stuff. The memories are getting less, and maybe during that time, a door is opened, and a child that maybe wanted to be around animals gets to be, and they get love, and the bad stuff is getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and eventually, um, you know, uh, sometimes when the love starts coming in, okay, the bad stuff cannot stay. It doesn't have the power that the love offers. So memories can be healed through love. But sometimes Victoria, she'll even tell you, she was so much off into drugs and alcohol, you got to first get that part of you straightened out and get you off the drugs and alcohol so your brain and your whole system is not also dealing with that because that's another layer into the biological system. And how I can relate it is if you ever get ready to eat food, Okay, and you look at it, if you go, oh, I love ice cream. It tastes so good and it's so cool on my tongue. Your tongue and your sense of taste is ruling you. If you take it one more thought and say, "When it's only going to be in my mouth a few minutes. Going to my stomach, it has sugar, calcium, maybe some protein. Okay, so you have to kind of go into another step. But what drug and alcohol was to do is I'm in pain. I can't stop the thinking, the thoughts. I don't know what's wrong. I, I, I don't know what I need, but something happened. I don't know what it is. I can't sleep. I'm not happy. Oh, I'll drink and get happy. And then it lasts for a little bit. And heroin and some of the other drugs, they're downers. Because we want peace, but we don't have it. We can't sleep at night. We have nightmares and all kinds of stuff. So we start down a biological dependency to try to get something that within our mind we don't have. 
and some people try to find it. Uh, even sex, believe it or not, it produces peace at the end. Uh, it gets all the hormones, the chemicals, everything moving in the body. There's pleasure. There's everything's happening. And uh, people get addicted in the biological brain to all those chemicals and endorphins. And things are just, you know, chemicals are flying everywhere. And so when you become an adult now and you're trying to, life isn't doing so well and you're having issues, you want to know why because you don't have the memories, okay, then what happens is you go try to find them and you can find therapists. So if you're going to seek a therapist, you need to try to ask them what their expertise is. Have they had any, you know, training in working with adults who have had child abuse? If you remember that, you may not remember that because that's locked behind the door and it may not come up till sometime later till something opens the door. And um, then you can talk about it, but then it's you know gets uh, kind of rough, and the memories are powerful, but they can get weaker, and they can be destroyed, and they can be forgotten, and uh, you can take on new identity because you're not that child anymore, you're not being abused anymore. That takes a you know a lot of work to do that. So, you got any questions? Or you want to make a comment about anything? Yeah, when I found uh, my therapist, when I found my therapist, uh, I was looking for somebody that specifically dealt with MPD because I'd just been diagnosed. Uh, How were you diagnosed, Victoria? How were you diagnosed with MPD? Were you tested? A situation happened, and uh, um, it was a very confusing situation. I'm not going into it, but uh, I ended up um, uh, going to the psychiatric ward. And my okay, psychiatrist said at the time, um, I think I'm dealing with more than I can handle right now. So the there was a professional. Said that? Um, yeah. Psychiatrist said yeah, yeah, yeah. that said, um, there's a, a professional uh, person I want you to talk to. And uh, his name happened to be William Percy, and he was, uh, I don't know, top-notch whatever at the time on, yeah, on yeah. MBD. Uh-huh. For those yeah. who don't know, it's multiple personality disorder, and now they renamed it dissociative identity disorder. Yes, for people. that's correct. That's and, correct. Yeah. So I just want to give that out because a lot of people aren't familiar with that term anymore. So anyway, um, we all went into some, I don't know, went into a big room at the, at the psych uh, ward, and uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything that happened, but apparently he called out the one altar that was the causing the trouble at the time. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Somebody well, who's been trained in that knows how to do that, yes. Yeah, and the altar wouldn't talk. So apparently, no, no, they I won't. mean, they my, my husband at the time, was um, in the room, so he told him what happened. But the, he wouldn't, that altar wouldn't talk, so he said, well, would you be willing to tap on the table? Yes, one tap or yes, and two taps or no. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so the altar tapped once, and uh, 
So anyway, apparently he went through this whole whatever rigmarole, and the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the room, and I don't know what the hell's happened, you know. And uh, that's when I was told, you know, that mm-hmm. that I had me, I had been diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder. Yeah, yeah, borderline, yeah. Um, which was an incorrect diagnosis. Um, so the two situations were um, I'd be a little kid crawling around. I, You know, that was my alter, would be crawling around on the psych ward on the floor previous times I'd been in and go on a table and start whimpering and, um, mm-hmm. you know, shaking and holding on to myself and stuff. And they'd say that, you know, I was doing that to get attention. Well, as yeah, soon as yeah. I got diagnosed, the same situation would happen, and they would say she's in an altered state. Now, there's two different, you know, ways that they're dealing with things. The one is ignoring yeah. uh-huh. And the, and the and second the, way, when they found out my correct diagnosis, you know, they, they were different. They treated me differently, which yeah. helped Well, the me. thing <laughs> is, in psychiatry, mm-hmm. most psychiatrists and psychiatric nurses and orderlies they're not trained. They're not educated in this, and they really don't know the cause. And so they, you know, they think you're playing games, and you're just because they see a lot of this, but they don't. It, it, it's they don't realize that this is possible mm-hmm. for a human being to form this from child abuse or an abusive childhood. And so, like I said, it, it, it's. It's on the far end of the scale for most psychiatrists. They just want to give you medicine to deal with depression, anxiety, and this is mm-hmm. something that's a schizophrenic, it's a paranoid schizophrenic, it's blah, blah, blah. But it's not that because that's on the far end. And there's very few psychiatrists that are really trained in it. A psychologist mm-hmm. can do the testing for it. Mm-hmm. I got thrown into this with this kind of people with no knowledge. God had to show me the switching that went on, why it was going on, the different names, and I saw it in my own home. I, I, the girl, I was took a girl in, I was helping, she crawls under the bed, She believe, she's an, in an altered state, she's butt naked, she has no clothes on, but she's fully dressed, but she doesn't, that one didn't. And I knew what it was, and I just said, what kind of clothes would you like? She said, some black leather stuff. I said, reach my hand under there. I said, well, put your clothes on and come on out. I had to learn how to deal on-the-job training with mm-hmm. them in my home. It, okay, I, I never really saw much of this in mental health work because even though it was probably there in the jails, mm-hmm. okay, People didn't know what it was. You were borderline no. personality, which means you're half a kid and half an adult. That's about it. I saw schizophrenia where people heard voices talking to them. Okay, mm-hmm. and all and you call the psychiatrist, and all they do is up the medicine because they didn't yeah. know where it was coming from. They didn't understand it. Oh, they had me severely sedated. I tell you what, I you know at some points could barely function with the sedation. Yes. And, and that's medication. all they know to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is they're trying to stop I mean, I trying to stop the and they'd almost fill my whole hand with drugs, you know. And yes. and I just That's them all they know. To to, them, you know. <laughs> well, in psychiatry, if you don't have a brain tumor, okay, 
if you don't have brain bleeds or brain damage where they know you've hit your head, they can see that on x-rays, MRIs, and stuff, then they don't know what to do except give you medication and pretty much drug you out. That's all because they don't they don't really study it. They don't believe really much in it. They don't have the time. You know, you stay a few days in the psychiatric hospital because the insurance won't pay, and the insurance just wants you to get on the, the drug you out and get back because it costs them money. And at the same time, you know, nobody wants to look back at child abuse. You're an adult now. Hey, oh, everybody has an abusive child. Everybody's been beaten up. Everybody's had issues. Hey, get over it, you know, sort of attitude. And uh, But once you start recognizing it, most everybody's got it. Okay, because we've all had, nobody had a perfect life since childhood. And now with that ACEs test, they're recognizing just the divorce of your parents is traumatic. Having one of your pets die is traumatic. Moving, it was traumatic for my brother. He moved every two years in the Air Force. He never could get friends, always moving. So in Helping people as adults, a healer, a therapist, a life coach, a friend. We know there's equine therapy, there's dog therapy, there's all kinds of animal support. People need to be aware that this happens. Yours, uh, Victoria, sometimes they would say it's a cry of help from that person, okay, trying to reach out in places, but you couldn't control it, could you, when it happened? Oh, no, no, no. And but, so there was yeah. And people don't realize you, you know, fear, okay, uh, fear of hospitals, somebody find fear, which releases cortisol, in the brain, trigger stuff will bring up different personalities, okay? The memory starts going like you're under the table, you're afraid, you're trying to hide. That person at that age has already done that as a child. But in psychiatric work, they don't, they just think you're goofing around, you know? They just think you're just... Mm -hmm. Rebellious. Well, you know, I used to call when they'd say borderline personality disorder. Instead of saying that, I used to call myself a border liar. (laughs) Well, what they what the border liar? Well, they don't explain what they think I'm lying. (laughs) Well, what the borderline personality? My brother was diagnosed with. Did you get one foot in childhood? Dependent. I want to be taken care of. I don't want to. I want to have fun. I don't want to be responsible. And maybe one foot as a teenager, you're straddling these thoughts, these concepts, these areas of responsibility, and you want mama to keep taking care of you. You don't want to grow up yet because you'd have to be responsible. And for whatever reasons, 
And that's what borderline means. You're not fully an adult that's mature and handles stress of life, childhood tendencies and attitudes and behaviors and or maybe a teenage or rebellious. That's where you see a lot of rebellion come in when you have your teenage years. And that's what that means. You haven't, this person inside of you has not fully matured into a responsible adult, left home, got your own family, got your own job, handling life stressors. You've left all the childhood antiques and childhood rebellion behind you, okay? And you're moved into a mindset of an adult. But borderline means you haven't done that yet is what that means. And um, you're still rebellious and you are still got an attitude and something. So they don't see it that it's uh, different personalities or different associative parts that are coming up, trigger situation. And a memory is coming, and a personality, they don't see it that because they don't, they're not trained, okay? Very few psychologists and psychiatrists see this, Victoria. They don't, and if they see it, they just call it borderline, okay? Right. And they don't, and if you get tested, this one girl I had living with me, she had lots of them. She was on anti-anxiety and depression medicine, seeing her psychologist three or four times a week. He said it was going to take six or seven years for her to integrate. That means get everybody knowing everybody, getting everybody to meet everybody, everybody to accept everything that's happened. We're all one big happy family. Let's all work together, okay? None of this, you know, coming out and doing different stuff. He said it would take six or seven years. And a primary care physician had diagnosed her because she had been getting some deliverance classes ministry and some disassociative parts came up. So they sent her to a regular primary care physician and he said, oh yeah, you got them. And so this psychologist was treating her, but then the insurance companies was getting upset because he's seeing her two or three times a week, charging lots of money, and they're paying for it because she's working somewhere. And they wanted to know if she had been tested properly by a psychologist for this. And he said, no. He said, well, then you get her tested. So she went to take the test with a psychologist who was trained in multiple personalities. And she came back. She didn't have them. And I said, well, didn't your system... and?" Your people pop up and take the test and tell them, oh, no, we can't let anybody know about us. We have to protect our system. So there's a big self from being discovered, even in the psychological testing. You know, you can't, Victoria, if during that time you were under the table, you know, having your episode, if they had put some electrical stuff on you, it probably would have looked pretty wild on your brain. But they don't do that. So the only way they can determine is if they see it happen, okay, or if they take these tests and they ask you questions and they're looking for a certain score. God had to show me it happened right in front of me, blink the eyes, 
And this one girl, she said, my name isn't Amanda, it's Violet. Going, what is going on? It wasn't taught at the master's level. Most PhD counselors aren't taught it either. And you even heard that one psychiatrist in the psychiatric hospital said, we got to go get somebody else. It's just not the top of the line for them. Just plain old depression, anxiety. If you've been in war now, they know about the soldiers. We'll have post-traumatic stress, flashbacks. But it's not multiple personalities. It's just flashbacks. Okay. And, um, you know, how many kids get spanked, you know, and they have divorce and stuff. That doesn't cause any problems. They're out there. Okay. But when you start reading, a great one is Herschel Walker. He was an NFL football player. He came out and he's retired and he said, he discovered he had multiple personalities, and he gives his testimonies out on YouTube. And uh, there's other people like the Three Faces of Eve and Sybil, and um, they're all different because in Three Faces of Eve, true story, at Menace House, there wasn't sexual abuse, but there was trauma kissing her dead grandmother. Sybil, the mother did it, not the father, not the uncle, not... And there was all kinds of sexual abuse, but not with, you know, the male organ, but all kinds of other stuff. And so that's a different case. Herschel Walker uh, was a little different. And uh, so each case, though, produced multiple personalities. And it is a shocker to a therapist when they see it. You know, they don't know to look for a blink in the eye, okay? They don't know when it switches. I had to learn because I was going to be working with these people, and they had dark side that were very bad, and they served the occult, and they had a light side part. They were a judge, president of the United States, kings and queens, policemen, school teachers, doctors, nurses. That was their light side part. Pastors, and you didn't, nobody knew anything. But they had this other dark side part of them. And I couldn't talk to anybody. So I just had to watch movies, read true stories. There's a great one called Suffer the Child, true story by Judith Spencer. And it's about working with people in psychiatric hospitals like you were, Victoria, and hearing from the nurses and the doctors about working with somebody like when you were in there. True stories about all kinds of things of what children will do during traumatic, stressful events. And, you know, sometimes I couldn't even read the stories. It was so graphic, but I had to. So that when people were brought to me in Walmart, on the telephone, now on social media, in person, in church, I knew automatically what happened, and um, I, I learned the language. I, I learned to look at the eyes, uh, the, the change. I could spot the change uh, because a lot of times once the system is comfortable with you, you might be able to answer this, Victoria. When you got comfortable with, you would allow the different parts to come up and say hello. 
Did you do that? Just like Mary Pie Powell. Just, um, I actually was meeting her in, uh, in, she had an adult unit and a child unit. And I was going to the adult unit with my personal care attendant. He would go with me because I don't know if people know about when you get in altered states or whatever, sometimes you don't get out of them for a That's while. Correct. And then I call it, uh, we used to call it getting grounded, which was me coming back. That's correct. That's a good term I use, yes. Yeah, 50 minutes is up, and, you know, you're out the door, like you said. Well, he Uh would come with me, and uh, we'd we'd go on a bus home, and he'd stay at my house, and I know he never got paid for all hours he stayed with me, but he would stay with me until I was back in my body, Mm me, you know, Mm -hmm. the the main Mm -hmm. one. And uh, um, one time we got off the elevator, and I thought we were getting off the first floor, which we usually did. And we got off in the basement, and I walked out of the elevator and looked at the door and collapsed. He got me back in the elevator and got me outside. And uh, he said, what's going on? And I said, "Uh, that's my dad's name on the door. Uh Uh-huh, the name. That was a visual. A visual. Uh Uh Uh-huh, the name. Called my therapist, and and I said, I think that's my dad's office. I he never mm-hmm. knew, you know, and and well, she just let me check into it, and she did, and sure enough, he was the head of security um, of all the computers in the hospital. So I said I can't come back, even though she was helping me immensely. So what she did is she yeah, took yeah. all my information out of the computer, kept it on a written file in a in a um, locked file cabinet in her office. And she started meeting me over at the children's unit, which actually was great because most of my alters were children. And they loved it yeah. there. That's where all the boys were. That's where all my, you know, yeah. it was in the adult office. So you don't and find so many they therapists. Loved it there. Yeah, the thing is, you don't find many trained, licensed therapists to, to do that. The master's mm-hmm. level do not get this. Very yeah. few psychologists get this. Very few, as you found out, psychiatrists get because they really think this is such a small portion of Mm -hmm. society. And even if you had child abuse, they Mm -hmm. don't believe that every person has multiple personalities or disassociates. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's such an unusual, very rarely seen. But Mm -hmm. what I have learned is everybody that has had childhood abuse or trauma has it. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Everybody yeah. disassociates. Everybody mm-hmm. has created parts. Everybody leaves their body. Okay? Mm-hmm. Everybody has out-of-body experiences. Everybody has loss of time. They have nightmares. Okay? They don't want to talk about it because it is very embarrassing. And they yeah. don't feel Safe, like you know, when you were in the child's unit, your yeah. children said we feel safe and can come out. Yeah. Okay. And most people, like I said, uh, somebody who's an adult or a teenager or a young adult, they just need to hear and know they have the disassociative system in them. It's a gift from God. He helps you survive it. You didn't die of a heart attack yep. over the stuff. You got yeah. a bad book, okay? He knows he can come back and get you healed with the right people. 
Okay. He, oh, and I so felt what? it was a total gift. Matter of fact, I thank all my altars for being, you know, for being courageous enough to be radiant, created. I mean, I know that there's a higher power that sets mm-hmm. up your mind in a way to protect you. Um, I would have been um, beyond help. Yeah. I don't want to try. Right. I don't like the word that's right. You would have, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So it is a gift of sort of salvation protection. Oh, it is. And, yeah. Okay. And it takes a skilled, uh, heal, say, healer. Does, it could be a neighbor. It could be a best friend. It could even be like what uh, the the horse ecran. God will do healing through love. God, whether it's a person, through a song, through connections, things get weaker. Okay? Nature. And if they and if and um, what happens is a lot of inner work has to get done within the system. Okay. And people, the, I'm just trying to say, in therapy, most of your master's level people who are the therapists don't get this training. Pastors don't get it. I got it on the job. God threw me in the deep end with people like you, Victoria. But I had another level on top of it, which was multi-generational Satanism, witchcraft, the occult, demonic spirits, heavy, hardcore sacrifice, child's horrible stuff you don't even want to think about that I had to study, I was involved with, and yet these people looked normal. They were realtors, school teachers, regular moms, kids in school. I, I worked with kids who were sold into child pornography that were that were kids of rich people over in England out of Europe, Russia, I got thrown in with this stuff that I knew nothing about. I had to learn fast. I had to see it. I had to understand it. I had to read a lot because this was not taught in mental health counseling. But I knew God wanted to bring healing his way. And what he did for that young girl that was living with me who was seeing the psychologist that it would take six or seven years because they believe we have to integrate. All your little parts had to meet everybody. Everybody had to know everybody was there. Everybody had to be agree to remember the abuse and that everybody would be okay and everybody had to um, sort of be one, and that was called integration. Then what would happen is we'd only have one personality in there instead of all of them. And God said, well, I'm going to show them it ain't going to take six or seven years because i got a different way of doing it. And uh, it was through prayer and deliverance and uh, it's just gone, you know, another level. But you can get a lot of healing like you did, Victoria, in the psychiatric psychology field. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't, well, no. I never went through whatever you want to call integration. I've heard people yeah, that's that talk about bug. it, and they asked me if I integrated, and we never went through all that, every little thing that happened and stuff, you know, and and all the altars didn't even come out. Um, I just came to a mm-hmm. place where, you know, um, I didn't disassociate anymore, you know, 
I mean, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't like everybody told their story and everybody knew each other. It was just all of a sudden, you know, it was almost like, uh-huh. uh, they're just, just gone. They're just uh, gone. Yeah. And, and, and that's this usually, story, uh, if uh-huh. you want to call author or host or whatever you want to call it, um, just started living life, you know, I mean, I still have memories and stuff. Well, but. I bet you it started happening when you got in AA and you started calling on mm-hmm. the higher power. And you well, once I, since I got sober and drug-free, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. literally a fog lifted up my brain. Yes, I yes, can't even describe it. it. Did. But, yes. but my brain wasn't functioning correctly. Um, and no, that it fog was pretty much dead. And all of a sudden, yeah, it was, it was like a new world. It was like, yes. uh, you know, how you used to watch black and white TV. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. one day, it had a color TV. That's exactly the way yeah. it was. Well, people don't realize, you know, you started off with drug and alcohol to really relieve some pain and get some peace and mm-hmm. happiness. And then it takes over the biological body and all the nerves and everything get dependent on mm-hmm. being drugged out, like uh, having anesthetized. And when yeah. you take that away, all the nerves and all the pain of the nerves is what you're feeling. And then the other pain is there, you know, for why you did it. So, and it first, but you got to get off, like you said, the drug and alcohol. So going through the 12 steps where you got introduced to a higher power and you start doing some mm-hmm. things, the higher power starts interfer- uh, intervening mm-hmm. and working. And slowly, yeah. a lot of times, without you even knowing it, he's taking care of business and you're calling on him for help and you're you're living your life and you're not doing drugs and alcohol. He can work with your brain now. He can work with you. And you've mm-hmm. shown him that you want to be healed. You want to get off this stuff. You have taken the steps. And you've been faithful. I think you're still going to AA now, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So he, uh-huh. so he goes, huh, I can work with her. She's serious. Yeah. Okay, and she's working with me. In that kind of atmosphere, God will use everything, but he's yeah. at work where things that only he can do, and you you may not know he's doing it, but mm-hmm. one day it's like they're just all gone. Well, where did mm-hmm. they go? He took care of business, you know? Yeah. And that was the thing I had to learn that, um, about it, but the understanding what your memories are, okay, and they do form because the Bible tells us as you think in your heart, in your mind, so you are. So during the abuse, you think of yourself a certain way, something happening. That's who you are. You form a personality, a memory. It's, it's in chemical, electrical form, stored away behind doors that need triggers levels okay now you can like you found out with drug and alcohol you can deaden yourself so it's mm. you're not easily triggered but you're a mess okay then you go down the elevator and you see a name which is your father's trigger that's a visual it wasn't any okay that's a visual you know the name boom triggered boom right then and there yeah so and I hit the ground just by your eyesight. People start understanding how the biological brain works with the five senses and the body 
and you start understanding the neuroelectrical system of the brain, the vargas nerve and how all the nerve endings in the body, how memories are created, how triggers work, you're starting to get a handle. Okay, sometimes it's not good to be in those uh, support groups with peer-to-peers. Peers can't heal you. They themselves are still broken. I can talk, been there, got the healing. I can now help others. Peers can be friends. They can be support systems, comfort systems, the healing system that you need. So at the same time, we have found out through many ways, the support animals, teddy bears, equinine, because love is being exchanged. When you felt in AA was love of those people without any judgment, they were ahead of you. You could look at them and see their lives have improved and changed. They, okay, no alcohol, no drugs. They kept you on track. They picked you up. They took care. They made sure you were there. They knew what you were going through. They'd already been through it. And they were calling you, keep coming our way, keep coming, keep coming to the meetings. We're, we aren't going to let you sit at home. Coming, we're coming. And slowly, because AA works with that higher power, God, Christ Jesus the Father, and no other is supposed to be, you were getting some really good help that really started healing. Now you're way on down the road. So yeah. You're giving, well, I would say know, that my sponsor my sponsor loved me before I could love myself. And there was also right. nobody else in my family that was doing anything to, like, improve themselves. You know, I mean, my mother, when I was born, um, you know, she even told me this. She used to laugh about it that when we, me and my brothers were little, she couldn't handle our crying. So every time we cried, so think of all the reasons the baby cries. Um, every time we cried, she'd put alcohol in her bottle or give us alcohol because um, she couldn't handle our crying. So, you know, can you imagine every time I had a need of any sort, hungry, you know, hungry, angry, sad, uh, one be held, wanted my diaper change, whatever, got alcohol you know so you know that that was very obvious that uh i wouldn't just have those feelings you know and uh there was nobody in my life that really until i got into aa and i would say my sponsor loved me before i could love myself you know because i never learned that i was thought i must have been a horrible baby or my mom wouldn't you know my parents wouldn't have given me away that's how i thought of myself and I didn't feel like I deserved even breathe the air. That's why I was suicidal a lot, you know. But the thing is, is that not everybody dissociates, but people do have, like you were talking about, you know, body memories and memories and all that. So, um, you know, like my therapist said that a lot of people, you know, most people, I mean, everybody disassociates to some point. It's like, um, you know, you're going down the road and you're going to the same place you've been to all the time. And then you go, you know, somebody says, oh, did you go by the Dollar Tree and, you know, see all the cars parked there? Well, you probably don't remember that, you know, she said, but MPD is like on the other side of the spectrum, you know, but, um, and disassociation is 
kind of over there by, you know, or farther down without, you know, um, splitting off into parts. And so a lot of people will disassociate and be under, like, high anxiety, and uh, um, they just kind of leave, you know. They kind of just go off. And I still do some of that where I just kind of, you know, go away because it's just too overwhelming. <laughs> but I don't split into a separate altar. That makes sense. Did that make sense? I can't hear anybody. No, I don't know. Um, I was on hold and I got this new phone and I was like tapping it all over. Well, like I did earlier when I was talking to you, I was tapping it to try and get it to open and it went mm. off. So that's what I was mm. just doing right now, tapping it to get it to open so I could get off mute. Um, but I don't know where Pastor Deborah. She's not off of the um, board. On yeah. Her. I know. Maybe she, she just accidentally hit mute or something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she hit mute or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so the way that I guess I can relate to all that you guys are talking about is that um, I know that I can disassociate. I know that I can, okay, I've got to put myself in this position right now and do this work and right now, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it, especially when there comes to something going on in the other issues, but something going on like in the family, I can take mm-hmm. over that and you know, make sure that that I'm everything here. is taken care of. Hey, but yeah, um, somehow I, but I never muted. Put... Oh, did you? Yeah, I just, I yeah, just not, yeah. somehow. <laughs> That's okay, but what I'm, we're um, about out this... of time here. We're about out of time. What I wanted to say oh, is wait a minute. Uh, understanding triggering for yourself is important. Understanding your memories and how it affects you is important. So if you're seeking therapy and healing, you have some knowledge. So when you go to the therapist, and some people are going to face the memories, and some need to, some don't. Uh, Victoria found out that they sort of just disappeared. Okay, as she got off the drugs and alcohol, and she had somebody who loved her before she could love herself. Her mother had issues. That's why she was given alcohol as a child. And you can see what our parents in their childhood, gets past some of their issues and their problems get passed on to us. And uh, so if you are a listener of NASCO or somebody, there's help. Victoria found it. A lot of people find it in equinine, other ways of healing. There's hope, but you have to be on the track. You have to be seeking it, going after it, saying, I'm not satisfied with my life. I want to be better or healed and seek treatment, whatever that means. For some people, you know, they'll find it in the psychiatric world, in counseling, equinine therapy, animal stuff, hospitals, volunteering in the community, reading books, doing inner child work. Uh, some people will find it in volunteering in the community. Some people in the church. Some people through prayer, AA. But if people aren't pursuing knowledge, 
See, something was in Victoria. She was not satisfied the way she was. It's like, I know something's wrong with me. So, you know, I'm trying to do my own healing with drugs and alcohol. Well, that got worse. So then I go, I've got to find something, and she found AA. So a lot of adults give up, they quit, they don't stay on the path. And there's a lot to learn. So now Victoria's a great advocate. She's out there talking and about her journey and her healing and her life. Now she can help other people get on the healing path. So it is about 821, and you girls can finish it up and do whatever you need to do to close out the show. How's that? Yeah, well, Hello. thank you. Hey. Thank you for uh, for coming on. Um, always interesting. And I appreciate you bringing topics, too, because that, that always helps when people bring topics to the table. Well, and I encourage other real. people that, that hear the show that, you know, the shows are on uh, five nights a week, and uh, um Kim gave the number earlier, and you can call in any night with always the same the same time and stuff. Um, I do want to uh, say one thing where that I like to read. I know we've got a little bit of time here, but there's a serenity prayer for NASCA, and it's uh, something. <clears throat> Hold on, I'm gonna have to put on a minute. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I am. I know I've been on with you a couple times, and um, yeah, so you're always informative, so thank you. I appreciate you being on. Um, well, you, you're yeah, welcome, you Kim. Mm-hmm. You know, it's real interesting, NASCA, is, is two topics, go after healing and become an advocate. And I think it's worthy, and you girls do a great job out here. You know, it's not easy. And uh, the topic's not an easy one either. And um, so I appreciate you guys, you know, taking time out of your evening to be here. And I know what Victoria's going to read, and it's very beautiful. So mm-hmm. I will see you guys, yeah. you know, again, yeah. I'm sure. We'll see you again on the radio, as Bill says, we'll be on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the radio. So I'm going to read the yeah. NASCA Serenity Prayer. It's please grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly, the courage to forgive myself because I always try my best, and the wisdom to know that I am a good person with a kind heart. And I do want to say, too, that uh, as Pastor Deborah was saying that, you know, um, yeah, I, I sought help, and it's not easy always to ask for help, but you're worth it. And uh, also, you know, not everything works. One thing works. So if something doesn't work that you try searching, the answer is out there for you, you know, but have that in your heart that, you know, things can get better. There's always hope. I would say where there's breath, there's hope. And uh, I had to go on mute there for a minute because my dog started barking at something. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but But they're always keeping me busy. I have a service dog. And uh, I tell you what, that unconditional love is amazing. It's amazing. And uh, 
I tell you, they have really helped me a lot. So what were you saying? What was the name of the therapy you were talking about, Kim? Aquanine or? So it's um, the equine, yeah. So, so it's the skull, which is, I guess, you're digging deep into the inner, you know, inside of you and, and getting back to what basically what you, you know, we both were talking about, um, getting back to who you are and what God has called you to be if you're a believer and, um, mm-hmm. and I think what has been the, the which for me is there's also an aspect of yes the the horses are pretty unconditional but they will also not approach you if you have walls so I think that's what if was really walls. interesting has been interesting for me if there's big walls up so we oh. sit there and we have our session in the barn with the horses. And there's three of them that she has. And, and they just sit there, and you can tell kind of which one is listening. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because I, I didn't know anything about this until I started. And then she started explaining it to me. And when I go in, there's always one that's listening a, a lot more attentively than the other, and it's not always the same one. And Isn't there are times that there were, like, um, both, of the, when, both of the girl horses, the female horses, had the male horse cornered and mm-hmm. were and I was talking about how I just don't I mean even in my marriage I haven't had a voice and this is what I'm trying to overcome and so mm-hmm. she was like those the horses are demonstrating to you they're telling him to get out of here mm-hmm. and, and she goes they don't ever do that they never come because wow. the the one man the one female horse is the head of the pack and then the male horse is the second and then the the other female horse is usually the, the last in the pack, and she doesn't ever confront or anything. And so it was interesting how, she, um, you know, my therapist can point out these certain things that are happening with the horses that are kind of mirroring what I, what I do. So, like, the first hour we are talking and they are listening, and then she will take whichever horse is listening the most attentively and seems like they want to work with me that day, mm-hmm. will go out into the – the little pen area, the outside pen area. And then I work with the horse as far as um, just trying to, Mm. well, I try and what I have been trying to work on and it's been hard for me is, is I do walk around doing affirmations. And if you, if you believe in these and you're really what you deserve and this is what you believe, the horse, you know, will follow you. But if I, you know, in the very beginning, I couldn't even say any affirmations at all. I could not yell. And I still have a hard time yelling them. Actually, if I say them to myself, I can get more into my heart. If I try and say things out loud, I, I have a really hard time getting back into my heart and not just using my head and thinking about what I should say next, you know. Mm-hmm. So horses pick up kind of on that sense, and that's what has been fascinating to me is that, um, you know, that they are showing me actually when I am completely in my mm-hmm. head or completely in my heart and what, you know, I need to get wow. back to and what I want to. And I, I just long for it to get feeling with my heart again because it's been a long time. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been a lot of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and get cheery mm-hmm. about all this. Yeah. yeah, I read this one one yeah. thing. It said, I don't, I don't post my problems on Facebook. I go out to my heart and talk to my squirrel. <laughs> that's cute yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I'll talk to my dog, and there are times, you know, that that dog will just sit there and act like, you know, it just seems like it really understands. And sometimes you don't have to say anything, you know, but I'll be in like a, a meeting or something and just be having a really hard time emotionally, and I'm not crying or, you know, doing anything like that. And I'll just be having a real difficult time emotionally. I'll just be, you know, sitting there. And my dog will come up to me, my service dog will come up to me and just start scratching my arm and start kissing me. And, they know. And, I know. They're you know, so smart. They are. They're exactly. And I'm like, no, these <laughs> animals pick up on things, you know? Yeah, they can. And, and even, even uh, you know, some people say, oh, you can't train a cat. Well, even cats can, you know, come up and start nudging up against you. And and it's just amazing that, you know, or you go out and sit in nature. And I used to go out in the woods all the time to get away from my grandparents because they were drinking. Or if they weren't drinking, Hello? they might as well be. <laughs> and yeah. anyway, um, I go out in well, nature. Let's, and sometimes let's say goodnight to everybody I, before it goes off because it's going to go off. Good night, everybody. Oh, Have a good night. Okay, now we're off. Okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Bye. Continue on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would find I'd find like an acorn or something, you know, and and I would really yeah. feel like it was God just, you know, or God wanted me to yeah. see that, and I'd pick up the acorn mm-hmm. and I'd take it home, and I just hang on to it when things were like really crazy. <laughs> so I was given this gift, yeah. you know, so it could be like the most simplest thing, you know, to just pick up a rock that, you know, hey, that rock, you know, that. I don't know, something about that rock and just, you know, as you're going on a walk or something and pick that rock up and take it home and, you know, it makes yeah, it feel good holding it. Yeah. And all my so, friends you know, everybody, oh, yeah. take yourself on a vacation or whatever. You know, we all don't have money to do that. But even if you do right. have money to go on a walk and pick up a rock can mean more to you, you know, feeling that that was put there for you or that was a reason for you to pick it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to tell, you know yeah. say that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. That's, that's, I I have also heard people looking for hearts, you know, in the rocks when they're on a in a walk, and so yeah, those are all fun things. Yeah. And just seeing it through a kid's eyes, I think, is what kind of you know, oh yeah. gets you back in. Yeah. In that space. Yep. In yeah. Too. You know. Yeah. You know, kids will ask why, 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 you know, I don't know when we stop saying right. why, you know, right. uh, you know, or, or how can I feel better? And kids will go, can I go to the park? <laughs> you know, <laughs> can I go swimming? Right. You know, and, you know, we get all that shut off sometimes. Because yeah. now we can't go to the park. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a really good show tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. We have a good evening. Yep. Good night. You too. Yeah. Yep. Good day. Okay. Good night. Bye.